following audio is from a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed and we're going to focus on the portion where it says he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now one of the great challenges of reading scripture is knowing what's coming. Right? We know the end. If, if you've been around the Bible or church or preaching at any length of time, you know kind of what's coming. Right, so what tends to happen is that we read our own experiences into what's happening in these stories. So when we read something like Acts chapter one, verses one through 11, we don't necessarily feel the weight of the impact. We don't necessarily experience that emotional uh, like, like explosion that happens when Jesus is standing in front of them and all of a sudden he's not. So when we hear these things, we have to force ourselves to kind of get into that mode. What would the disciples be experiencing? They don't know what the end is. They don't, they don't have the rest of the chapters, the rest of the pages after this. They are experiencing it in real time. So when we read these things, when we hear these things, we have to push ourselves into that place. So hear it again as, we, as I read Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 6 here. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Right? Like, talk about a one-two punch. 
First, the disciples see the resurrected Jesus. He's back. This is great. The next thing is, he's, he's gone. He just, Mike dropped us. <laughs> he's, he's ascended to heaven. What is going on here? You can imagine what they must be feeling here, right? It's interesting. Jesus is talking to them, responding to their questions. Obviously, the resurrection, lots of questions happening there, right? And they're finally going back to that same old question. Hey, is, um, is, this, is this the time that the kingdom will be restored? Is this it right now? Is this it? Yeah. Jesus kind of bypasses them <laughs> and says, no, 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 no. And he ignores their question and as a punctuation rises to heaven. This is a prime example of missing that emotional impact, right? We can read right past that and keep going. Because we kind of know what's going on. We know where the story's going. But this is one of those moments that changes everything. It's okay if you missed it. If you're like, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've always read past that. It's okay, because most people do, actually. Uh, it's, they actually call the ascension one of the forgotten acts of Jesus. It's one of the most forgotten acts. It's most skipped over, most misunderstood, most like sidelined. Like, yeah, 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 we get that. What, what, else is, what else is in the scripture? Let's do that. We know most of the story. Jesus descended from heaven. He was born. Uh, we were actually just listening to some Christmas music in the car a couple days ago. Like, why not? Um, Pentatonix has a great version of Heart the Herald and You Sing. It's, anyways, uh, we know that stuff really well. Jesus lived. Uh, Jesus did, performed miracles. This was great. Uh, and Jesus suffered. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again. And Jesus is coming back again, right? I skipped. A really key part of that. It's almost a given. Yeah, yeah, he went up to heaven, but he's coming back. That's the most important thing. There's a problem, though. If we skip this, it's giving us an incomplete gospel. It's not giving us the full story. If our gospel story ends with Jesus' resurrection, what we have here is we're missing a huge part of our faith. So what is the ascension and why does it matter today? First, let's talk about what the ascension is not. The ascension is not Jesus going on vacation. Right? It doesn't say in the Apostles' Creed uh, that Jesus ascended on a plane to Aruba and is seated on a beach with a drink. No, it doesn't say that. He's not going on vacation, so let's remove that from the equation. It's also not Jesus going home to rest. All right, Jesus is not saying, you know what, I'm, I'm punching out, uh, I put in some, some hard hours, I'm going to go back and, and kick, my feet, kick my feet up and just relax and maybe read a, a nice book. It's not Jesus doing that either. Okay? And the last thing it's not is it's not Jesus giving up responsibility. Okay, this isn't Jesus saying, like, all right, I did the hard part of being resurrected, now you guys figure it out. Like, it's not Jesus saying, I'm giving up, I'm washing my hands of this, and you guys are on your own. It's not that at all. So what is it? First thing is, it signaled the end of his earthly ministry. Right? He came, and, and he had a very specific mission. He accomplished that mission here on earth. It was the end of it. And now his ascension ushers in a new phase of ministry. 
Next thing it tells us is that Jesus physically went up to heaven and he rules and reigns over God's kingdom with the Father. Now, this is an important piece of that. He didn't ascend as some spirit being or ghost. Jesus didn't just float off into the, the, the atmosphere like some will-o'-wisp or something like that. It wasn't that at all. Jesus ascends with his humanity. Okay? He is, just as he was resurrected, fully God and fully man, he ascends fully God and fully man. And this is important. The last thing is it changed the fundamental nature of how we relate to and understand Jesus. See, this is the main issue of the incomplete gospel. In the ascension, Jesus takes on new roles for us that impact us today. And if we miss what the ascension means, we are going to try to do those roles ourselves. If we don't understand that Jesus is operating on our behalf in heaven, we will try to operate on our own behalf. We will try to fill in that perceived gap. And you probably know what I'm talking about. You probably feel that. We're like, yeah, I'm following Jesus and I get this, but, but what about all these other things happening in life? All these scary things and all the uncertainty? Maybe I should just be in charge of that. Maybe I should just take care of those things. Jesus is on vacation somewhere, so I will make sure I, I'll, I'll, I'll handle the PR stuff. Right? I, you know what? Uh, Jesus is resting, so I don't want to bother him. You know, uh, kids, don't bother your parents when they're resting later. You know, Jesus, don't bother him, so I'll handle all these things myself. I'll handle the evil of the world myself, right? I got this. And, and Jesus has given up anyways. He's washed his hands of it, so I guess it's up to me. Right, maybe that's where you're at. But here's the problem. We stink at being Jesus. We stink at it. It's awful. We are, we're, the, we're the worst. We're the absolute worst. If you approach Jesus and faith in Jesus with that half measure of a gospel, you will struggle in faith. You will strive you will scuffle, you will fight, and ultimately all that fighting and striving will lead to failure. That's not fun. That's not what we sign up for, right? So people become disillusioned, they become frustrated, they become angry uh, at Jesus. The good news, though, is this. Jesus didn't give us a half measure of the gospel. Jesus didn't go on vacation. Jesus didn't uh, wash his hands of us. Jesus didn't give up responsibility or, or just, he's not just resting. He's actively working for us. So what we need to do is simply develop a greater awareness of what Jesus is actually doing and then it'll change how we interact, interact with Jesus, how we relate to our world and how we experience faith. So today I want to explore how the ascension changes all of that. How, uh, how the ascension changes how we relate to Jesus, how we understand Jesus, how it completes the gospel story. So I think that the ascension makes three assertions about Jesus that impact us today. The ascension asserts Jesus as king, as commissioner, and as the intercessor. So the first thing, the ascension asserts Jesus as king. 
We see that in, in Acts uh, chapter one, verse three. Jesus is talking to the disciples. When he comes back, he's resurrected, he comes back, and he's talking to the disciples about the kingdom of God. He wants to talk about the kingdom of God. I don't think that's coincidence. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to, to Ephesians chapter one, verses 15 through 23. I think it'll be on the screen here also. Listen to this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and this is Paul talking, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, right, resurrection, we're talking gospel here, right, raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is going on here? Paul is writing to remind the church of the hope of the gospel. It's like, don't forget this. Don't just know this in your brain, but know it in your heart. Know it, like, stuff it deep down in there so that your heart is trusting this in a way that, like, compels your life forward, right? Hold on to these things. And he says, these are the things I want you to hold on to. The hope that God has called you to, the riches of, of his glorious inheritance for those who trust in Jesus, and also the greatness of his power that, which is being pointed towards believers, Right, there's some good things happening here. And how does our heart see all these things and know all these things? It's the gospel. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, if you ask someone, explain the gospel to me, most likely you're gonna hear, well, Jesus, well, you sinned, and Jesus died for your sins, and he rose again, which is great. And that's what Paul references here. Yeah, Jesus died for us, right? He says, um, where is it? There we go. Um, in, in verse uh, Verse 20, when he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, right? Jesus rises from the dead. But then he says, but also, but also, that's important, but also, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right? Again, completing the gospel. Not only did Jesus die for us, but also Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. But not just at the right hand, he's seated Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only now, but in any time to come. Any time in the future, Jesus is above all those things. So not only did Jesus rise from the grave, he is now seated high above anything that could stop us. Anything that will, will pull at you and will, will try to hurt you, Jesus is in control. So not only does his resurrection break the bondage of sin, but Jesus as king overall assures us that that bondage remains broken. 
There's no like sneak around attack here. Jesus as king over all things, Jesus is saying, nope, that is done. Jesus rises from the grave as savior, but ascends to the father as king. See, the ascension transforms how we interpret our world. This isn't some like Greek gods mythology thing where the gods are warring after, you know, over dominion of, over all the things and control and, and humanity just, like, str- suffers from it. It's not Star Wars, like some intergalactic struggle for, for supremacy. It's settled. As believers, we aren't sweating the outcome, wondering if Jesus can pull it out in the fourth quarter, you know, crossing our fingers, I hope Jesus can do this for us. No, we have nothing to fear in the world. It's been settled. Jesus is seated above all those things. All the conflict in the world, Jesus is above those things. And no matter what's thrown at it, no matter what's, how bad it gets, we can have confidence for our king has been seated above all those things, all powers and all authorities of this world. Karl Barth, a uh, theologian, said it like this. Whatever prosperity or defeat may occur in our space, Whatever may become and pass away, there is one constant, one thing that remains and continues. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. This is a great comfort in life. No matter what may overtake you or what you may feel may overtake you, nothing will overtake the King. So we can loosen our grip on the world, let the reins go a little bit, we can breathe again normally. We can unclench our, our fists and feel the ball in our stomachs loosen and, and the pain in our chest when you see the news. That can go away. You can let go of those things. You can take that step forward because Jesus, our King, is in control. Now, if you're a believer today, which king is on your throne? Is it the king overall, or is it doubt? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it your kids, maybe your sports teams, your, your job and career, your, your money or lack thereof? Right, what's seated on your throne? If you can answer that, I think you'll grasp the gospel in a deeper way. If it's the king overall, It's going to change how you view the world. It leads us to our next assertion. The ascension asserts Jesus as commissioner. See, in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, hear this again. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He's getting those questions again. Jesus, are you just going to fix all this now? You came back from the dead, which is great. Are you going to fix all that's wrong and make it like this earthly kingdom where we can build a cool castle and like I could be a knight maybe, it'll be awesome, right? They're asking this question again, this is not getting it. And Jesus, instead of answering that question, turns the table. He says, it's not for you to know what the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you, and you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? So here's Jesus saying, you're not going to know what's going to happen, but wait, there's more! You are going to do this now! Hooray! Right? It's your task now. And as the disciples are sitting there going, 
Well, how are we going to do this? Boom. Jesus ascends to the heavens. Ah, right? Yeah, it's kind of, okay, this just happened, right? <laughs> Disciples are left wondering, now what are we going to do? See, when Jesus ascends, he commissions or he gives the disciples a mission. Not only the disciples, he gives the church a mission. Go and tell the world who I am. And that's what we see the disciples doing and what the believers are compelled to do. Jesus' ascension acts like a catalyst for mission. All right, listen to, again, Carl Barth uh, describe this. The conclusion of Christ's work is therefore not an opportunity given to the apostles for idleness, just sitting around, but it is their being sent out into the world. Here there is no rest possible. Here there is rather a running and a racing. Here is the start of the mission, the sending of the church into the world and for the world. See, Jesus is it. There's no one coming after him. There is no future king. There is no future prophet that's going to fix it all. It wasn't John the Baptist. It wasn't King David. It wasn't Moses. Uh, the cycle of hope, this, this is the guy, and failure, oh, it's not the guy. That's broken. The failure of the previous kings and prophets ends with Jesus. He is the Savior. He is the King. He is the Lord. And he gives the church the task to proclaim this reality and over all the earth. So at the risk of sounding cheesy, I'm going to sink into the cheesiness. Who is the commissioner of your life's purpose and mission? Is it you or is it Jesus? See, when it's us, our commissioner is a little bit (laughs) day-to-day. Whatever's happening, maybe I'll do it. Maybe this will make me more money. Maybe this will give me more fame make me more friends, I will do that myself. Maybe I'll serve here because it makes me look good. That's awesome. When you commission your own life's purpose and mission, very day to day, but when Jesus is your commissioner, suddenly there's a running and a racing. Suddenly there's a spark to see the world restored. Suddenly you experience that, that same quickness that the disciples felt. Jesus ascends. He gives us his mission. Now let's go. Let's go do this. Let's make this happen. Suddenly serving is not about me. It's about the church. It's about serving Jesus. Suddenly serving is like Pastor Sam saying, give me the guitar. I'll go ahead and play guitar. And we'll, we'll figure it out. Right? It's about people trying to soundboard for the first time because I want to I be here and be a part of this mission. I want people to know that Jesus is Lord and I will do that, whatever it takes to make that happen. That is the mission. That is Jesus commissioning you to have purpose in life and it matters because Jesus ascending doesn't mean he's given up on the world. He's not dropping humanity saying, you guys are... are just, idiot stop it I'm not going to be around you anymore instead he's empowering us to help him redeem it to bring restoration in this broken world we care for the least and lost because it all still matters to Jesus it still matters it's not a waste 
If you give up your Sunday morning to come here and sing or do soundboard or, or, or work with the kids or, or sweep the floors, it's not a waste because it still matters. If you give up your time and your money to go and, and serve the poor, to, to, to love someone, to go sit by someone at recess if you're a kid, like, it doesn't, it, it's not a waste. Jesus, it still matters to Jesus. That's why he sent us out into the world. The gospel is for all, so we carry it to all. And it leads us to our last assertion. The ascension asserts Jesus as intercessor. The last portion of Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends and they're left standing there. Well, now what? And as they're standing there, I mean, who knows what they're feeling, right? I, I, I don't know how you would feel. Like you just saw Jesus, like you followed Jesus' life, you saw him die and, and in the most horrific way, and then he's r- like raises from the dead, and he's back, and he's like, 40 days, and we're just talking, this is great, it's like back to the old times, and all of a sudden he's gone. Right? Like, what, what's being felt? There's there fear, is there excitement, is there doubt, is there frustration, is there joy? And as they stare upward, a couple of angels saunter up. <laughs> Right? What are you guys looking at? Oh, it's Jesus. He's gone. Right? And they say, no, 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 no. Why do you stand looking up at heaven? Because Jesus, he's coming back in the same way he went up. He's coming back. Right? He's not resting. He's not taking a vacation. Jesus is doing something. So what is he doing? What's he doing in the meantime, right? He's, if he's coming back, he must be doing, he's preparing, doing something up there. What's he doing? Well, we get some clues when we look at an, uh, an Old Testament role that was played. Uh, the role of the high priest of Israel. All right, this high priest of Israel uh, was appointed to go and, and represent the congregation, the community of Israel uh, before the Lord and basically would offer sacrifices for our sins. The high priest was the only one allowed to go in the deepest recesses of the temple to offer these sacrifices. All right, this person would go and offer sacrifices for the people, but also himself, because he himself was a sinner. And this is almost like a near daily thing, right? Because we sin daily, and this priest sinned daily, so he had to constantly go to offer sacrifices. But this was an ultimately flawed individual. I just, he was a sinner, doing his best. And he would die. And he had to find somebody else to do this and take up this role. The book of Hebrews takes this idea and connects it to Jesus' ascension. Let's check out Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 28 here. The former priests, these are those high priests, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, right? They died. They were human, like, we're all going to die. That happens. Just okay with that. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make 
intercession for them. He's advocating for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest as Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and for those for the, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses, in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, Jesus, who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is interceding on our behalf as a great high priest right now. Right now. What does this mean? Jesus has gone to the Father, not as some spiritual being, not as some ghost, but as he was raised, fully restored God-man. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating on our behalf. And unlike the other high priests who did this before, they died. They couldn't keep going. Jesus can do this forever. Jesus has wedded himself to humanity forever. And this is almost the scandal of the ascension. This is a scandal. That Jesus, when he rose up to the heaven, he held on to his humanity. He didn't dump it and say, forget these guys. He held on to it. He said, I am taking that with me into the place where no one is allowed to go. I am taking humanity with me. Jesus, the bearer of humanity, our representative, is lifted to the place where God the Father is and in the way in which God is. A place humanity and all of our sin has no business being, but through Christ, we are brought near to God. Our future as believers is bound up in what he has done and continues to do. Where he goes, we are meant to go. What he has become, we are meant to become. We are not only saved by Jesus, we forever have security in his name. Listen, like J.I. Packer says it like this, a theologian. Jesus intercedes on our behalf not begging for charity for us. He's not saying, please God, it'd be nice to them. He's not doing that. He's not begging for charity. But by being seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus, his very unending presence is the full realization of our salvation. Grace is for us and will forever be for us. If you're in Christ, you've been redeemed and that redemption is secure for all of eternity. A hand of being baptized, like, Hannah's not going to lose her baptism and salvation as she's being sanctified. She's not going to lose that because Jesus is advocating on her behalf. He said, I got you. Like, he's got you. He's holding on to you. Right? He's up there on your behalf saying, Hannah's with me. If you believe in Jesus, saying, you're with me. And they're good. Nothing can take that from you now. Listen to this hope that... This intercession brings believers. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 34 through 39. Who is to condemn? Who? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's advocating for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? If you are in Christ today, if you believe that he is your Savior, do you believe that you are secure with him today? Furthermore, are you willing to trust that today? For when we trust in Jesus as our intercessor, we stop trying to be our own intercessor. Right? It's too many of us. We hear this all the time in MC. You hear this all the time talking to people. It's like, yeah, I sinned. I just don't want to tell anybody. You know, I'm, I'm ashamed of my sin. And I, you know, I try to hide it. And we do that like God won't see it. Like, we have this weird, like, if I just don't say it, like, God won't see it, right? Is that, is that how that works? <laughs> it's not. We try to play our own high priest. We think we can redeem ourselves. We think we can figure this out. Uh, it, we, it puts us in this weird downward spiral, right, where we sin, we feel shame, we try to hide it, then we say, I'm going to try harder, because if I try harder, then it will overcome the sin, right, and I'll just be a better person, let me just become a better person. Jesus will love me more, and then we'll be good. And then what happens is we sin again, and it's worse this time. So I feel more shame, and I'm going to try even harder, and then I'm just going to take a nap because it's so exhausting, right? It's exhausting to spiral downward, downward, downward. We try to be our own high priest, and we fail miserably at it. We stink. We stink at being Jesus. I said it earlier. Spoiler, I said it earlier. We stink at being Jesus. The gospel isn't trust Jesus as your savior and then be your own PR person. It's not the gospel. The gospel isn't work harder. It's trust more. The gospel is trust Jesus as your savior and Jesus will hold fast to your salvation as he is interceding for you. That's why the question in Romans is who is to condemn? Who can take you out? What in life can take you out? Because with Jesus, our forever high priest, no one can stand against. Not darkness, not sin, not Satan the accuser, not even death. Grace is for you and will forever be for you. See, the question I think that seeps into and I think even pervades our soul is, I have been adopted into the family of God. will I be kept? Like, I'm committing myself to Jesus, but what if I sin? What's going to happen? I'm being sanctified. I'm, I'm working through this. I'm trusting Jesus, but will I continue to be loved? Is grace still for me? Will Jesus want to keep a sinner like me? I think Jesus, through the ascension and the work he is doing on your behalf, gives a prevailing and triumphant yes. Absolutely. 
Jesus is working on your behalf right now. The Jesus that ascended in Acts 1 is the same Jesus working for you right now. He is there holding you, securing you. This is the complete gospel, right? That Jesus descended from heaven, took on human flesh, ministered and loved sinners, humbled himself through obedience that took him to the cross. He suffered, he died, was buried. Everyone walked away with with confusion. He rose again, everyone was excited again. And then Jesus, the rising of the dead, he ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father as our King over all things. And he's commissioning us to go into the world and to share this gospel. And to this day, Jesus, our great high priest, is interceding on your behalf, fighting for you. That's the complete gospel. And one day he will come again. So where are you today? Are you Satisfied with the incomplete gospel? Trying to be your own king, commissioner, intercessor? Are you okay with that half measure and all the struggle and strife and ultimate failure that that brings you? Or are you willing to trust the complete gospel and the ascended Jesus? For Jesus is the better king. Jesus is the better commissioner and Jesus is the better intercessor. So as we move to communion, where we remember what Jesus has done for us and continues to do today, I want to close with one final passage. It's from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for, for who you are. We thank you for what you are doing even now as I'm praying. Lord, that you are standing high above all the powers of this world, all the authorities, all dominion, all sin and darkness. You stand above all those things as our king. Lord, and you call us out into the world as missionaries with a mission. You commission us to go and share that you are Lord. And Lord, you are fighting on our behalf as our intercessor. So God, we want to remember that today. We want to remember that you are for us, that grace is for us and will forever be for us, Lord. You aren't a high priest that will die away and have to be replaced, but Lord, you are our high priest forever. So Lord, help us to build that awareness today. Let it seep into our souls. Let us answer those those hard questions that you still love us with a resounding yes. Lord, be here with us. Lord, as we go to communion now, uh, let us remember all that you've done, all that you continue to do. And Lord, may you be glorified through this day and all that we do. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.